Episode three of the Off the X podcast. I am Cody, and today we had on Tony Beltran. Tony is a former Blackwater, former Triple Canopy, former United States Marine. He spent from 2005 to 2017 in the security contract world in Iraq. He and I worked together in Baghdad on several occasions, and then again in Erbil. And for those of you that read my book, Agents Unknown, True Stories of Life as a Special Agent in the Diplomatic Security Service, Tony was in Chapter 9, and I think it was Chapter 12 was the other one. He and I worked very closely together uh, during that time of increased hostility in northern Iraq. Solid dude, really, really close friend of mine, and... uh, well, just knows his shit. Just a great guy. And uh, he he and his team had my back while I was there. And I believe they think I had theirs. So listen up. Listen to Tony. And enjoy. So let's start, man. Let's start from the beginning. How long, uh, how long were you with? You started out with Blackwater, right? I did. I did. I went through the... Uh... I went through the course in late 2004, late 2004, actually late 2004 is when I started my, the application process and I ended up going to WPPS training in early 2005, class 22. Right on. And then sent to where? I mean, boots on the ground on April 1st of 2005, Baghdad, Baghdad, Iraq. Man camp. That was before right everything was up. I mean, it was the, the man camp was getting built when I got there. Yeah. So you were one of the first first dudes with Blackwater then. I was, yeah, not not the not the the original, but yeah, I was one of the first. Yeah, first uh, say class twenty two. So uh, there was quite a few before me. Well, not not too many because there was there wasn't that many of us. So. But yeah, I was one of the first ones on the ground. How long? How long were you with? Uh, well, because after Blackwater left with the Triple Canopy, how long did you do? What's ten years or so? Contracting. Yeah. Oh no, two thousand and five to two thousand seventeen. Oh geez, all right. Yeah. More than that. I yeah. left. Uh, I left late two thousand and seventeen, November two thousand and seventeen. I left Baghdad, Baghdad, Iraq. I was a program manager there. I got on that plane and didn't look back. And I haven't, yeah, I was done. I was done. I popped yeah. out. Yeah. Well, I mean, you did plenty of fucking time yeah. there. I did. I did. I did my part. I mean, I did my time. So yeah, yeah, I was done. So a lot of mostly dudes that uh, write to me ask about either DS or. Uh, being a security contractor, mm-hmm. obviously Blackwater, you guys, uh, it's legendary and the military and people that want to get out and join. What was it like working for Blackwater? Oh, I had a great time. I mean, coming from the military, military background, and then right into a law enforcement career. Uh, it was a, sh- I didn't spend much time in law enforcement because I got introduced to the contracting world. 
by a, by a buddy of mine that was in the Marine Corps with me. Um, it was different, man. I mean, being downrange as a contractor was completely different from being downrange in the military. So, um, and the reason I went, the reason I gave up my career was because I felt that guilt. Like I'm home, but we still have troops deployed. It just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right at all. So yeah, I, I, and, it, and it wasn't really about, it wasn't all about the money. I didn't want to go back because of the money. It was because of that guilt, but it was a great experience. I mean, I loved it. I mean, the mission was great. Um, the, the dudes that you, you, that I got to know, uh, the relationships that I built downrange with these dudes, it's, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't, uh, I would do it all over again. Yeah. For our viewers, our listeners, you're a, you're a Marine, you're a grunt, you're an 0311 and you were a staff sergeant, right? When you got out. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was an 0311, got out as an 0369. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. What unit were you with in the Marine Corps? I I was with one, one. I started with one, one out of Pendleton and then uh, I got out in late 2000, uh, late, late 1999. And then I ended up joining Golf Company 223 out of uh, SoCal here as a reserve unit. So was out for and, and went straight into the reserves. And then after 9-11, I was back on active duty. Yeah. All right, right on. What, uh, so you talked about missions. The mission was good with Blackwater. Explain a little bit. I mean, obviously you and I know what you guys do, but for people that don't, what, what were your type? What was it like back then? I guess running missions. It was the wild, wild west. I mean, it was, uh, it was the peak. I mean, of, of the war, basically. I mean, we still had a lot of ground troops on the ground, but there was still war going on. So for us going in as private contractors and augmenting the state department, basically falling under that, you know, uh, State Department umbrella. It was it was a different mission. I mean, it was a different mission, but it was. I mean, the missions were great. I mean, there was rules in place, but we got a, we got away with a little bit more than what the military, you know, got away with. Um, and, and it was just. Uh, and when I say that, we we just had a little bit more freedom and a little bit more room to basically do what we wanted to do to get the mission done. So, you, when you say mission, you mean protective ops, protective operations, uh, QRF. So I was I went straight into I was my first team was uh, Templar two two, uh, Templar two two was uh, we ran we ran um, uh, the teams back then were set up a little bit different. We had a dedicated client, so uh, basically Templar two two was in charge of of running protective operations for the public affairs office um, at the embassy at the time. And uh, so being that that was our dedicated client, we did our own advances. We did our own site surveys and then we ran our own missions. Yeah. We took the client out, which changed a few years later. Then they started designating teams. Okay. You're a, uh, Protective ops, you're, you're running PSD, you're an advanced team, you're doing site surveys. But when I first started, yeah, we wore different hats. So we had to do it all. 
And how do you do? Is, were the teams bigger then than when you and I worked together? Um, I mean, if you have, you just split the team in half and they run in advance, and then you have your movement team. Yeah, or how, how they work? Back then, we we kind of already uh, we uh, the client would give us plenty of notice, like hey, like weeks in advance. Hey, we got these missions coming up, so we had the information. Uh, and based on the information that we got from the client, then we would plan on, okay, we've never been to this venue. We need to go get eyes on. So we would schedule our own advance. We would schedule our own site survey. Um, sometimes we would split, split the team up, uh, maybe do a soft advance, like a one or two car uh, motorcade uh, to do to have the advance. or Or we would request support from supporting assets, either TST or the cat teams. Yeah. And the cat were, it was a, it was a motorcade, but it was a motorcade of Humvees. Yeah. Three Humvees. Yeah. And we explain a little bit. Bourbons. Was it all high pro back then? It was all high pro up until 2007 and 2007, a uh, senior DS agent, DSS agent, um, hit the ground and hit the ground running, Mr. Paul Davies. And with his um, with his background in protective ops and, and getting together with some of our team leaders, we, we came up with the, uh, the low profile motorcade concept, which which created uh, the three which created four low pro teams which consisted of uh, basically a TO team, 12 guys, but we weren't running in high-pro vehicles. Uh, we were running in sedans, pretty beat-up sedans that kind of blended in with the uh, with the normal traffic out in town. So it wasn't uh, BMWs back then? <laughs> uh, let's see, an old 7 Series, all beat up, uh, no AC, uh, still, it was still an up-armor BMW, but like I said, it blended in. Yeah, yeah. But those, those beamers, those beamers didn't. Well, at least when I got there in 2010, they didn't blend in the best. I mean, we the we new, ran it. Talking about the brand new seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went from the old beat up ones, which we loved, to a yeah. brand new seven series up armored BMW that just stood out, stood out in the crowd. Like, whoa, yeah. Um, so what did we do to get around that? We just wouldn't wash them. And every once in a while we, you know, put a dent in it and we would, you know, buy local stuff like local, like, you know, hodge stuff to put up on the, on on the dashboard just to kind of decorate it a little bit to kind of like blend it in. But it's a brand new seven series vehicle. I mean, you're not seven series BMW. You're not going to camouflage that. So. I remember, uh, you know, I came in in 2010 for the TUI. That's when you and I met the first time. And then, uh, so I had three months on the ground by the time I came back or so in 2011. And one of the DS agents, I think he was a supervisor, deputy, was like, we, they have to wash the car. So he was thinking domestic, like your cars have to be clean and everything. And, and the, the Suburbans really didn't matter because the Suburbans are – they fucking stick out no matter what. Mm-hmm. They're huge, massive suburbans. You had the ECMs on the top, the mm-hmm. donkey dicks. And uh, 
But the low pro, there's a reason we call it low pro. You're trying to do it. And this guy was adamant that they should wash the vehicles. And of course, I learned from you and others, like, no, you don't wash the fucking vehicle. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Right? You leave them beat up. Yeah. Because uh, you're already, it's not so low pro. I guess you could be really low pro if you run around in a taxi or something. But <laughs> We um, wanted a taxi. They wouldn't give it to us because they couldn't find an up-armor taxi. Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, Paul Davies was my uh, second supervisor. In Houston, DS. right? Houston, yeah. In, in the book, he's, uh, I, I call him Pete. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, he, and he was, he was aggressive. He was a Marine. I think he got mm-hmm. as a major. Um, and he, he, he knew his shit. He was super scored away. Yep. And a, a, not just a great DS agent, but a really good leader too. Um, he was a big advocate for us. He was a big advocate for us and that, that low profile concept. Yeah. You know, and there, there are agents too that, uh, they kind of had that divide between the contractors and it's like, I get there's a divide and so do they, they get it, but you don't have to be that, you know, it was that kind of superiority complex that some of the agents had. And I always talk to agents and even the young guys now that I'm kind of mentoring and talking to, like you shouldn't have that company. You're all one team and you need to listen to those guys. I learned from you guys. Yeah. So what fuck what the title is. I learned from you guys and, uh, and I built good, good relationships with y'all. Uh, there was anyway. a difference between that's because there was a difference between not not it wasn't between high pro and low pro and it wasn't because of the vehicle configuration it was because in order to come to low pro basically you had to have time on the ground you couldn't come in as as a new guy you had to know your shit. You had to at least been a tactical commander at some point, you know, on a team because everybody on the team had to know everybody's, everyone's job. That's just the way it was. We didn't, you know, on a high pro team, if you're a driver, you drive, drivers drive. You know, if you, if, if you're a door gunner, you gun, that's what you do. If you're the ass monkey, you're behind that, that, that belt fed. That's just the way it is. You know what I mean? And very, very, they didn't really change it up that much. It was like, we got good drivers, drivers drive. On low pro, every mission was different. Okay, Cody, today you're driving or Cody, today you're TCing. So you need, you had to, you, you, you had to have known the area well, good with land, land nav and be able to make command decisions because, very seldom did we stick together as a motorcade when rolling from point A to point B. I mean, we would split the motorcade sometimes in three. So it was one solo vehicle on the red zone. I mean, we would parallel each other and to where we could still support each other, but we didn't stay as a motorcade. That's how we blended in. I mean, and there was times where I sat in traffic for three, four hours in the same spot. I didn't move. And that's just the way it was. It's just the way it was, you know. And another thing, too, is we didn't have the high pro kit like the high pro teams, you know. I didn't have the chest rig. Uh, everything was low pro. Everything was like baggy clothes. Everything was concealed, you know, everything. Our weapon systems were different, you know. We had the shorties, the 10.5-inch barrels, M4s. You know, we had the parasol. So 
I mean, the entire mission was 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 different. You know, the, just the way we ran operations was completely different. Uh, but again, you had to you, you didn't come in and we, we didn't we, we never picked up green guys. It's like you had to have, have at least one year on the ground, you know, and some and didn't you guys uh, kind of vote people in. Don't you have to be selected a little bit? I mean, people might be a volunteer, but but you say yay or nay. Yeah, I mean, we did. We did. Um, but, you know, and that's just because in, in order to even be considered, someone had someone on the team had to vouch for you or on another low pro team had to vouch for you. And our attrition rate was very low. Nobody wanted to leave. Once you were in, you were in, basically. You know, you, you had to do, pay your dues, but – Nobody wanted to leave. Nobody wanted to change teams. You know, we were we were pretty tight. We were a tight, tight group. Really tight group. So yeah, I remember that. So in order to in order to even be considered either somebody on the team or another low pro team basically had to vouch for you to even be considered. And there yeah, was I remember that. Way. I mean they, they uh, obviously they put agents with whoever um and you, you would hope that's one thing ds could work on is one who they send to these countries and two once they're in country who they assign to protect the bops uh and I, some of the deputies did that you know where they assigned people with whether it be military background whether it be combat arms or whatever law enforcement background um but they needed to do a better job of that in general, is my opinion, you know, yeah. to work with you guys. Cause I mean, the, the low pro groups are tight, uh, tighter than any of them. Like from what I remember. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I was high pro for my full year tour and we were a tight group, but every once in a while I get tasked out to low pro and I kind of, I envied that. <laughs> you didn't want to go back. Well, it was the experience on the ground. And I mean, I, I was never, uh, you know, and I hope any, no one thought that I would, but I was never better than anyone. I'm always learning. And yeah. so I picked up a lot and, uh, yeah, I just really, really enjoyed it. But when we first, when we first started running low profile motorcades on the red zone, I mean, we did a lot of shit that, that the high pro teams never did. I mean, we were running ghost plates. So we would go out our, our plates, uh, were Velcroed on so we would leave with a set of plates and then prior to coming back in we would come we would change them out or we would change them out out on venue you know and we didn't open the door basically we would come up to a checkpoint and you know we had our sops were completely different you know what i mean but yeah we our our sops were completely different from high pro so we did a lot of we did a lot of pretty cool shit a lot of cool shit. Like I said, that's why everybody wanted to come to Low Pro. But our teams were a little bit smaller. Teams were a little bit smaller. We didn't run with a hey, you know, a fourth vehicle, a chase, or you know, uh, we were just it was a three car package, three car package. Every once in a while, we got a fourth vehicle in there, uh, you know, if we if we needed it. But yeah, it was three car package, man. Old beat up Mercedes. We had a Crown Vic. A big boat. I remember my boy Taylor. He loved that thing. I hated it because I get sick of it. That thing, uh, yeah, it blended in well. That was like the that was like the perfect low pro vehicle. That that Caprice Classic. Yeah, great. And that's during BW times. Yeah, right? 
Yeah. So for, for the listeners, run. we say, say again. They're still running low pro motorcades, but it's totally different. It's not the same. Yeah, well, when, I mean, when Triple Canopy took over and when I got there, it's all Beamers, the Beamers you talked about earlier. But, uh, for, yeah. Yep. Beamers and Crown Vicks. They brought in some Crown Vicks, up armored that vehicle, and then there was just no room inside. But it was, and again, um, complete different SOPs. In a high pro motorcade, you get to the venue, you do a strong side or weak side drop. You post up, you open the door for the client, you walk the client in. Low pro motorcade, not so much. You pull into the parking lot, you try to pick a spot where it's the furthest away from that drop side from the entrance, and you park, and then you look back at the client. Okay, sir, ma'am, you can get out now. And he or she would get out of the vehicle, start walking, and then the AIC would get out and kind of shadow in the back. Yeah, it was completely different. Yeah, I tried to adapt to uh, – I'd, I'd bring a sport coat on occasion. This is before sport coats were required for mm-hmm. high pro. And for low pro, I'd bring it in case the client was wearing it. And so I'd walk in casual like I was his buddy, like I was his colleague mm-hmm. and not his. It didn't look good because I was wearing 5'11s and fucking – You're 1022? Merrill's or whatever. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> but uh, my first low pro mission with you guys was – uh, was it Central Bank? It was Department of Treasury. What's that Central Bank? Uh, mm-hmm. That is it called Central Bank? Mm-hmm. It was yeah, a small, the, really small venue. It's across the river. Across the river and on the peninsula. We frequented it. We on frequented it often. Yeah. Oh yeah. It got blown up a few times. It was right across the street from the Babylon Hotel. Yeah. Those guys always. I mean, later. In, Later that year and the next year when I went, each time I went, those guys, security there, they never opened the gate on time. I feel like we had to make laps, yeah, and which obviously causes an issue because you're circling the area or sometimes we'd post up. But You roll there with a low-pro team or a high-pro team? Low-pro, always low-pro. Yeah. I think because I think the, gates, the, the gate was pretty small, so yeah. only low-pro would go there. Yeah, yeah. it was a low-pro venue, so the lead yeah. vehicle would get to the gate while the limo just circled, made, did circles around the block until they were clear to come in, yeah? I think – I, I can't remember if you were my first run there or if it was Peanut. Um, but I remember being, you know, a boot agent thinking, well, oh, i got to make a decision because they wouldn't open the gate. And so either you or Peanut said, we're just going to circle another time. And I said, you know, roger that. If they don't open it next time, we're fucking canceling the mission. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I didn't give a fuck. I was ready. I was looking out for you guys, for the for, for myself, for everyone. Yeah. Fuck it, you know. And 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 they appreciated that. But either either you or Peanut came back and said, "Hey, Cody, let's just uh, we'll make one circle and we'll post up, and they should open it." And they did. Yeah. Um, you know, but they were known for that shit, though. They were known for that. They like to play games at that venue. Yeah, so, but, then, but but we got to know them too. We, you know. So yeah, we didn't play. We didn't play around. We don't. Have, we don't have time for that. Yeah, we, we didn't have sure. time. You know. But speaking of your agents, I mean, you got there when you guys. You guys were still doing TDYs, or were they? Or did you have permanent personnel? I can't remember. Uh, I did a, in 2010. I did the three month TDY. Okay. And then I went back to Houston and uh, 
less than a year later, I came back for a full year tour. When I first got there in 2005, when I hit the ground with BW, we didn't have agents. We had agents in the talk at the embassy uh, running protective ops, but we didn't have them in the vehicles. Basically, the shift leader ran the motorcade. We had a shift leader. Our AIC was one of the team members. Um, and I was there. I was on the ground when when they did the change where they started bringing in TD wires, 90-day TD wires. And, boy, did we get a bunch of scared agents. Uh, they, were, they were great, man. I, I still I still remember my first one. I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Dio. You probably know him. Dio. Yeah. Uh, guy. I think uh, maybe I saw him. Yeah, I think at the time he had already had about he had about eight years on the on DS. But man, I remember the look on his face. Uh, he's just like, man, I'm just here for ninety days. Uh, I know I'm supposed to be in charge, but I'm not. Re- you're in charge. This is your this is your area of expertise. Uh, just do what you got to do to you know get me back home safe with my family. Roger that. We had an understanding. I'm like, Roger yeah. that. <laughs> and that first day as we're doing a mission, I remember we started taking IDF. He froze up on me. I'm like, look back. I'm like, deal. Let's go. Get, get you know, you got, get, get undercover, man. Get in that bunker. Well, he froze up. But he's a great dude, man. Great dude was, you know, he, he did good for the team. He was, he was a team player. But that's I how think so. That's how a lot of them were. There was no Cowboys. You know, there was no Cowboys. And, man. And like I said, I, I was there for almost 15 years, 14 years, man. I mean, I've been a lot of great dudes and a lot of great dudes, like a lot of agents too. You know what I mean? I still keep in touch with them. And you're one of them, you know, and man, I can go, I can, I can say that I can probably go anywhere in the world and I can make a phone call and say, Hey, who's the RSO? Who's the, you know, what agents here? And I probably know one of them. I, 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 I at least I'll know one at least. Yeah. So, and it's awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, you have a good name in DS too. For those of us that spent time there, I mean, we know several of the same people. Yeah, we. Uh, I was I was fired up to go, and uh, I mean, I think, I mean, I don't know when this deal guy came or what his background is, but those of us that got out in the military, he was he was kind of, army and he was on MSD. He was on MSD when he got out there, and he and he didn't want any action because I was all about it getting out and get some if we had to. When you think about it too, man, back in 2007, I believe is when the 2006, 2007, when they first got there. I mean, not to say that it wasn't when you got there the first time, but man, we, it wasn't a matter of like, will we get hit? It's a matter of when we will get hit. You know, it, it, the threat was real. Like I remember getting there April 1st, 2005. And like the, Couple of days, April third, you know, we lost a helicopter, killed a bunch of our guys. I mean, we were getting hit. Our motorcades were being targeted every day, every day. You either got, you're either getting blown up, or you're getting shot at, or you're, you're going to have a near miss. I mean, it was every day, and the IDF was unbelievable, man. It was crazy. Like every day, we would take IDF. That C round would go off every day, every day. So it was it was a lot worse than when you got there. You when the first time you came out there, I mean, it was still pretty damn bad. You know what I mean? But you had the experience. A lot of these guys didn't. 
you know, and you can't fault them for that. You know, it's like, you know, the, the, the state department doesn't really have a requirement like that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So yeah. Well, and that's, a, that's yeah. an issue. Yeah. Yeah. In my, in my opinion, that's an issue. Uh, but especially going to a hardship post like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I mentioned earlier, if we could do better is, is you send people with certain backgrounds to high threat posts, or if they're going to go to a high threat post, if they go to protect the wilds where you have to go out to the red zone, you need to have a, B, C, and D and put whatever requirements you want their military or law enforcement or combat experience, you name it. Um, but in one of the reasons has reliabilities. Yeah. You know, reliability. I've been open about that and critical about that with DS because now if, if you go there and you're an AIC, the kid now, now you're another motherfucker to carry out. Mm -hmm. Now you're just like the PAX and the shift leader and the, the, the medic who is usually with the AIC has to handle you on venue to get you the fuck out of there. And I would always tell guys that, that ask, hey, how was it? Well, it's fine. The, 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 if you can't shoot, if you don't know what you're doing, whatever it is, at least be able to fucking run and not just crouch down in the corner because then they have to fucking carry you and you're a liability. Yeah. Like yeah. The minimum thing you have to do is just listen and follow orders. Take direction. If you're good – then you'll grab the packs. You'll take them to the vehicle. Your your team, your shift leader, your tactical commander will handle business. But uh, I would always tell people that want to come out, like, listen, just don't freeze up. That's all. You, that's all you got to do. There's not that many responsibilities. Shift leader's got it. And 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 it goes both ways to them. We had our we had our share of guys that you know that were like that too. You know what I mean? But I mean that environment is not for everyone. You know, it's not for everybody. You know, if you're not. If, I don't know. Maybe we're just we're just fucked up individuals. You know what I mean? That just love that shit. You know what I mean? We don't mind getting shot at or blown up, you know, but some we've had guys that all motivated SWAT team members, you know, 20 plus years in, in, in as a law enforcement officer on SWAT, blah, blah, blah. And they get on the ground. And we, they start taking we start taking IDF and like, nah, man, this ain't for me. Screw this. I'm gone. OK, you know. It is what it is, you know? Like I said, maybe we're just fucked up in the head that we just, we don't think about it. We don't think about it. We're just, we, 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 uh, we have a mission to do, and that's, 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 how we, that's how we deal with it. You know what I mean? That's how we get through it. That's how I got through it. I, I got a mission to do, you know? Yeah. I have a mission to do, and basically my job is, to, you know, to take the client out and to bring everyone home safe. Yeah. Yeah. I went there for it. I went there for the, I mean, I'm not a combat veteran. I was an infantry guy that MSG and I felt like I missed my time. And I'm not one of those guys that went in like, Oh, this is my war. I went in and I listened to you guys. And it's one of the reasons it's important to have people like you uh, on the podcast, because these young DS agents to go out there need to know who they're dealing with and, and who they're technically responsible for. And these are some confident guys Mostly, now you said there are some that that aren't, but mostly very confident, very capable, skillful. And one of the best things you can do as a young agent is listen. That's it. Listen and learn. Just because you're an agent, you have a fucking badge, and it, when you set ground in Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, 
And these guys are on the ground. They've been there forever. Uh, listen, and that was my mindset going in. And then I was a fucking jarhead, so it didn't hurt because I got along with everyone. And There's a lot of jarheads you know. on the ground, yeah. But, you know, I was the same way too, though. I was the same way. I mean, I was just a dumb grunt myself, you know. And when I started, when I started the application, when I heard about Blackwater, the first thing I thought was, oh, well, they're just looking for tier one guys, you know, um, SF dudes, recon guys. That's all they, you know, that's all they're looking for. And that's how it started. I mean, they were looking for tier one type operators, but they couldn't meet the numbers. So then they switched into, okay, well, you know, if, if you were a grunt, if you were in a combat arms MOS, and if you had, you know, combat deployments, then you qualify. So, but I went through training and I stood side by side with these badass motherfuckers, SF dudes and SEALs. And guess what? A lot of them didn't graduate. A lot of them didn't graduate. You know, and back then it was different, man. You show up to training. If you're not cutting it, you're fucking get, you get put on the bus and you get sent home. There's no second chances. Either you, either you got what it takes or you don't. It's totally different now. Completely different. And, and I don't agree with the changes. And I have been very, I, I voiced my concerns, you know, because I, I was recruiting for those positions. Uh, it's just gotten really soft. But that's in my, that's my opinion. You know, it's gotten really, really soft. And it's a shame because, you know, we lost a lot of good dudes, you know, they're, in the early days and for the program to, 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 to take that, you know, drastic change to, to what it is now. Yeah, man, it sucks. I wouldn't go back. I remember I got out in 2003. I was stop loss, stop move. And then, uh, you know, Bush got on the boat and said, war's over. I got out and I looked at Blackwater. And at that time, exactly what you're saying. They were looking for, you know, special operations. And, uh, well, I didn't meet the, I was a grunt, right? So I said, fuck it, it's college. Um, and then later learned that, you know, those had, those requirements had changed and, you know, got my chance to get out there with you guys. And multiple um, times, multiple times I came back. Well, you know, we can get to this or we can talk about it now, whatever we want. It's my <laughs> fucking podcast. Hey, so, I came back to her bill because of you. And I you know remember. That. I remember. You uh, and you were set up to her bill to take yeah. over the DynCorp contract. Yeah. I was in Vietnam. I had left. I had been, you know, a year or so removed from Iraq and we kept in touch and um and and we started exchanging emails like, dude, come to her bill. Yeah. And so I remember that email. I remember that email. you hit me up on the open net. Uh, and he's like, dude, are you under bill? Fuck. Yeah, I am. He's like, I'm bidding on it. I'm like, come out, come on, man. And I remember when, after that, they were talking on a regular basis and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good mission, man. We needed someone like you up there for sure. And we already had that bond. So I was a program manager. You, I knew you would be in charge of protective ops. Cause I mean, it's, as you know, it was totally different up there too. It's a different yeah, world well, there. Different world. Different world. Um, I've been on it for a number of reasons. One, because you were there. Two, 
uh, well, when you're in these shitholes and you have a, f- a friendship, it's just easier to get through it. Yeah. That's that's it. Two, <laughs> quite honestly, was the fucking uh, what's the, the the oasis of the of the Middle East? It's an AIP post, which which that to listeners is Iraq, Afghan, uh, let's see, Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan. So AIP, and it will you could at the time you could still walk out and right grab freaking Indian food, grab a coffee yeah. and still get all the danger pay, all the differential, yeah. everything else. And I was yeah. like, Oh, this fucking sounds great. Tony's out there. You lived off the economy. You know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that changed pretty quick within two weeks of yeah. me being on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when ISIS made their push. But um, were you there when we sterilized the entire constantly, were you there for that or sterilized? What do you mean? We were getting ready to uh, evacuate the console. Oh God, yeah, yeah. That's okay. that's chapter. That's the first chapter yeah. or build chapter in the okay. book. Sure. We started destroying classified and yeah, yeah. I have a whole chapter dedicated to that. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, fuck it. We're just gonna jump ahead. So that uh, night uh, when ISIS, well, there was what two or three nights, but basically, I got a call at two in the morning. And uh, from ORA, which is on you know, CIA down in in, uh, in Erbil, and my guy said, "Hey, Cody, you need to check your high side." I don't know if you remember this, but I went and checked my high side. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. Well, I walked out and I saw the, the deputy in the RSO outside chatting. And I said, "Hey, sir, I just got a call from ORA. I got to check my high side." And uh, he said, "But Cody, why don't you go to the rooftops? There's something happening." <laughs> and so I said. The gas oh, okay, sir. So I fucking went up and uh, saw taillights, just fucking taillights leaving the city. Yeah, that was right behind um, my office. Yeah. 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 I went on the rooftop of the tower yeah. down at, I forget what gate that was, you but right next to, to where uh, your office was. Did you go up the apartment building, our apartment building, or did you go to the tower? I went, I went to the one tower that was there, the okay. only tower on the compound. Yeah. yeah. And I say, all right, this isn't good. So I made my way down to the to the old talk, the fucking closet. Yeah. And I read the report. And as soon as I came out, I called you up. I said, Tony, you see what's going on? You were already awake. So yeah. your guys already notified you. And then we linked up and we talked about what we needed to do. And from that point on, the next 48 hours, remember uh yeah. Husser, Paul Husser. Yeah. Cody, for from the government side, you lead the charge and you and I started coordinating. And I mean, how your your OPs, your LPOPs set up? Fucking, we went a hundred percent. We stood. We stood. Uh, stand. We went to stand two. Hundred percent. Yep. Next day, we started destroying classified. We uh, we had everything from. I approved the. Uh, I approved it and then got permission later. But sniper rifles, the snipers, the, yep. the uh, what, what do we call them? BDMs. Um, BDMs keep them in their room people kept along uh, and that's because i mean they were for your for, i mean for your listeners it wasn't i mean you made the decision we at the time we didn't have ddm positions up there but we had we had guys that were ddm qualified you know with that weapon system and they were they they did they 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 were assigned those weapons and they did zero those weapons. So it was, but we just couldn't get, we, we couldn't, we couldn't roll with them on the mission uh, or we, they couldn't leave the armory. And yeah, you made the decision. Hey, 
the, those are their rifles. I mean, we've got elevated positions. Put them up. Like, dude, dude, we broke out the 203s. Oh, we yeah. broke out the 203s. I didn't give a fuck. Paul Husser said, hey, Cody. So, so Paul and I met in Baghdad. He was going to be the deputy for second squad. I took him out on uh, an advanced mission and a movement. A, a, you know, move, a movement team. And after that, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm good, Cody. You know, I appreciate it. I saw everything. I don't think I need to go back on the red zone. But but Roger that, Paul. And I handled business, and he was just squad leader and removed, moved up to a different position. And so, but Paul ended up being the deputy in Iraq. And so he trusted me. Yeah. And so when Paul gave me the go-ahead, and I had guys, because you were busy, I was busy, Guys come up to me and say, "Hey, sir, can we keep the you know the the rifles in our room?" And I, by that I mean sniper rifles because yeah. we always keep the M4s. I said, "Yeah, can we get two or threes? Fuck yeah! Can we get you know fucking whatever on the rooftop?" Two, yeah, we only it. had two tubes in the armory though. <laughs> we, well, we had six <laughs> tubes, two rifles with tubes. So you had some random fucking tubes just sitting there that uh, were no good to us. What do we, and, have? Uh, we have HEDP rounds. I think we had HEDP rounds. Huh? We, we did have some. We went into one of the Connex boxes. We got some stuff out. The got- only thing I said no to was uh, thermite. We have one of the guys that's like, hey, sir, can we carry thermite on us? Uh, was that- it Death Pack? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Pack. It was one of the younger guys. Pack, man. So, uh, you know. Well, we had we had a strategy, you know. Some things you might keep locked up on a on an observation post, but uh, with third bites, the only thing I said, eh, let's just hold off on that. Let's make it easily accessible. We won't lock it down behind three no. fucking locks and armory. You never know when you have to destroy a vehicle. Uh, hey, I understood, and so we we kept it accessible, but I wasn't gonna let those dudes have it. Not that I didn't trust them, I just knew they were fired up. Yeah. They were ready for a fight. I mean, we all were. We all were. Yeah. We had a solid so, uh, plan, though. We had a solid plan. We definitely had a solid plan. And, I mean, it's you remember walking around the compound? I mean, someone else was responsible technically for compound defense. I won't say name, but, uh, you know, Paul had tasked me. So you and I and a couple others walked around the compound and set up, uh, basically decided where we would set up fucking positions. And – we had we had the complete trust and confidence of the RSO and the deputy RSO. So for me, that I mean, how much I've come from a sergeant, a sergeant in the Marine Corps. Granted, I'd been like five years out to having full authority with my fellow Marine and friend to set up fucking compound defense, fucking good to time. fight off. The onslaught that was about to happen because we were ready for that. I didn't list in the book how many there were, how many fighters there were, but at that time, you remember we had 83. I'm sorry, 38. We had 38. Yeah. And they had hundreds, hundreds of vehicles, of course, with additional fighters. And I remember relaying an intel to you and like fucking Roger that. And then we Rogered up and for we two days, it was, uh, it I was, uh, we, uh, yeah, we brought out all the damn ammo pre-staged. I mean, we were ready to fight through the night. Yeah. Until, until the end, until the death, man. I mean, we were ready. It was, 
It was solid. That's what it's all about, though. That's what it's all about. It sucks that it came down to that, you know, but that's what it's all about. Man. That's what you get paid the big bucks for. Yeah, you know, you know, we were both in well, you had the whole you had the whole contract, but I, I had protective ops. And generally you guys are out there for protective ops, right? You have your your guys that were with the local guard force, but in our bill we were hundred percent dual purpose. Yeah. And uh, and I would go up once you set up the the LPOPs, uh, the OPs. Um, I'd go up there and fucking talk to the guys and just excited, motivated. They're loving it. They're loving it. Absolutely. Hell yeah, loving it. Yeah, it was no, good. That was a good time. Yeah, well, that whole that whole year was good. There's a lot of changes that I think you and I helped create. For the best, though. I mean, you know. They they were good changes. All good changes. Yeah, we, uh, we lost we lost some you know we lost some battles, but for the most part we won we won some we won some really good ones too. That yeah, we started, we started to put the right people in the right place, and you know you got that full time PM, and of course we had pack computer, though. I was also that? I never sat behind the desk. I was also a shooter. I was running missions too. Uh, no, technically I didn't no. have to, but I'm going. Like, I, w- I wouldn't take that away from you. You it all. Was, <laughs> it was I'm awesome. like, what? Yeah, when you get promoted to program manager, you kind of write the desk. But I was like, no, man, this is this is different up here. And just to go back, I, I, I basically created that contract. I mean, I made that contract for. Or triple canopy. I started with twelve guys. It was a training cadre, man, and it just, you know, right place, right time. And the RSO at the time really loved us, and man, we grew it from twelve to shit. I don't know what it is now, but when I left, there was it was about ninety five guys, ninety five guys. Yeah, when I got there, it was what well. Including the RSOs, we're looking at 38 shooters, and that's mm-hmm. the night that all this shit went down. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, you were you were always down and go out. I mean, that's kind of in your blood. I I I thought I had from the from the government side the best position possible because oh, I called operational management. I would go out and I was all right. We we need a cat team. Fuck it, I'll be your cat team shift leader. And they were uh, all fucking jealous of you. <laughs> they were all jealous of our position. Fuck, dude, it was crazy. You had the right job. You had the perfect job, man. I made the call when I wanted to go. I went. When I didn't, I didn't. The RSO and DFARSO trusted me. I didn't have to be the AIC, which has to sit with the packs. I got to ride the fucking calf vehicle, the shift leader for them, talk shit and drink tigers and fucking those two three hour missions. The two three hour missions. To Dahuk, Sulaimania, shit, the border. Well, you may remember uh, Pac and I went to do an advance at a, uh, it was a refugee camp or something. Um, but because ISIS had taken, obviously, Mosul, then Kalak, then Aski Kalak, they'd got up really close. We went on that long route that bordered Turkey. Mm-hmm. And it was a 16-hour, it was an eight-hour one-way, eight-hour back. It was some of the most beautiful land I've seen, but it was just ridiculous. And we were all delirious by the end. 
Yeah, I spent um, a lot of time in the talk that day, and I was monitoring the radio traffic at all, and I was getting you know constant updates from the talk. It was that was a pretty stressful mission, not just for you guys, but for us too, because the threat was fucking real out there, and then ISIS was all over that place. So that was a that was a ballsy move. That was a really ballsy call to send you guys out there, but it needed to happen. You know, I think if it would have been a different RSO shop and a different you know protective ops guy. I think things would have been different. They're like, nah, fuck no, we don't need to go. Yeah, some of the guys wanted to go the shorter route through Oski Kalik, and uh, eventually we did, but not that day. We we did the long route, and uh, yeah, that was. But you know what? That's another thing that we set up while we we're there is we got comms with ORA, and they had a shop. ORA had a shop up in uh, up in the Hook area. Mm-hmm. And so we said, all right, we cross our, uh, we call it not line of departure, but, uh, we're our threshold. And then we switched to cops with them and, and, and we built those relationships. The guy that was in charge is also a Marine. So it just kind of all worked out where we all fucking clicked. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was an interesting mission. Cause I mean, we didn't have packs, but we were all on edge. The kid so, that was with you too, right? Zervani. Yeah. Uh, I think on that because you know normal missions we have mostly for Zervani, but I think for that mission we split about half half. Yeah, maybe you had more. You had more Americans on that motor. Yeah. Most most of my guys with you. Yeah, I th- that was both of our point was like, hey, if we're this far fucking out, we we need to have bodies. And but to your point, like we had a full motorcade, and we might, you know, having half is what we had maybe six to eight Americans. Yeah. You know, and yeah. we illegally took out the 240. I don't know if you remember that. We shouldn't be having. <laughs> I don't really take, that. <laughs> that how we Because the RSO didn't know. The guy's like, sir, you know, we're going by ourselves. Can we take the 240, this, that, and the other? And I was like, fuck it. Let's just do it. So we did. We took it with us. Maybe we maybe we tried to keep you safe by not telling you. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. So. Yeah. All good. It, whatever, whatever it took. That was the thing. That was the beauty of, uh, about our build, though, up in the north was a lot of a lot of the, these decisions that that were made from higher were were basically we gave them enough information and we made them. We basically convinced them that this needed to happen. And this is why we would paint that picture. We got full support. It was like, now had that been down south? Fuck no. Hell no. We did a lot of unconventional stuff up in the north. But that's because our configurations were different. The SOPs were different. You know what I mean? The mission was completely different. And it it was. It was like the little hidden gem, man. Like, you know, and then I loved I loved it when it was small because that's it was really it was controlled. You know what I mean? And basically, I I picked and choose who came up there. You had to be vetted. It wasn't like, oh, hey, we need bodies. No, fuck no. I'll I'll keep the shortages. You know, until you know I pick who I want to you know bring up. So and they were corporate was very uh, yeah they were supportive man. They're like cool. They would call me up first. Hey, we're going to send so-and-so. No, you're not. And if they tried to push it on me, I'd go right to the RSO. 
or or my protective ops AIC, and then a phone call would be made like, no, not happening. This is not the place. It's not the place. Yeah. That's the thing. We, 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 were, we were so tight, Triple Canopy and the RSO office. We, had, we always had a good bond. We didn't always agree on things, and God knows I took a lot of ass chewings, but it was all worth it, man. It was all worth it, and it was like – there was a point where it was, it was, there was a period where, man, I was taking ass chews left and right, left and right, you know, all worth it. All worth it. You were the right guy for that job though. Cause you had, you were well established within TC. People knew you, people respected you. Those of us, I mean, like Steve and Paul didn't know you that well, but I did. And they trusted me. And so, you know, we had, you and I worked together, made decisions, and and they always listen. That for that one, I remember the uh, request, the movement request was submitted. You know, within five days, and and uh, normally for a trip so long, it's obviously really hard to do in advance. And we convinced the RSO to do that in advance because, again, that's when ISIS had taken who knows what fucking routes. Mm-hmm. There's a reason we went so far north. Uh, but anyway, well, it was good to have Pac with me. Um, I'm going to have him on someday, hear him talk shit. That'll be good. Uh, you got to get him on a good day. <laughs> yeah. You got to get him on fun. a good day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause this Tourette's will kick in, man. Was, was Hunter there when you were there? No, yeah. Yeah. You remember. Right. Uh, yeah. Hunter, so Hunter, it was like towards the tail end. Yeah, Hunter replaced Paul. So, yeah. so uh, Hunter and I were there, uh, and you know Hunter. You knew Hunter before you knew me. And he was, uh, my, he, was he was. I think. I think he was my. Well, no, he was there when they first started dropping agents into into Iraq. But he was, he was a unit suit. And and not to get off topic, but Hunter was a unit suit in charge of my unit, my detail, and he'd always liked he, he always liked to run with the advanced team because it was a quick mission. We go there, we do the advance, and we come right back, and you you know leave at zero eight, and you're back by like nine thirty or zero nine. You know what I mean? So he liked those, or we go out and do a TSS, you know, or two advanced. So we were very very flexible. So he liked those. So he would always call me up, man. Hey, Tony, you got any spot? You got a spot over me? Fuck yeah, dude. Let's go, you know? And uh, he was just, he's an awesome dude, man. Awesome guy. Hunter's one of the top he 10. Dudes in oh, yeah, just Hands down. Good great. Just a just a nice guy in general, but I was but skilled and capable as oh, well. Fucking intelligent, dude. Intelligent, man. With, with him there, with you, Hunter, and then we'll talk about Chris Rose later, but yeah, fucking trifecta, man. Like those were the best fucking days of my contracting career. And not because I'm on your podcast, but you know, and because you're my buddy, but with the three of you there, it was like, I hit the fucking trifecta, man. It was fucking great. And after y'all left, it was like, yeah, kind of shit went down here. <laughs> well, I, I know who the check out. is. It's time for me to check out. Yeah, I I remember the uh, 
following ours. So actually, here's what's interesting. So the first supervisor I had, and I wrote this in a book, and it has a very small, small part where he comes in to this office. I stand up to shake his hand. He just fucking ignores me and walks by and sits down. Just complete asshole. And uh, he's the same RSO, and I won't say his name because I don't want to say a name when I'm saying something negative. Oh. You know who it is. It's right after Steve left. I left. He's probably there when Chris was there. <laughs> and uh, yes, yes. And I've had conversations. It's like, and he's not a bad guy. He's actually, you know, no, that's just his demeanor. That's his personality. He's man. just complete. He's New York. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and uh, but I he ended up, love that because the yeah. guy was fucking black and white, very transparent. Yeah, I, mean, I liked it. You know what I mean? Even though he chewed my ass quite a few times, I liked that about him. It was like you're not gonna get any bullshit from me. He's not gonna blow smoke up your ass. But you're right. A lot of times you didn't know where you fucking stood with him. And like he would not give you a fucking reaction to make so you felt like a fucking idiot. Like, what the fuck? You know, what did I do wrong? You know? Yeah. But yeah, I know exactly. I, I don't know if that was environment it was his environment. Like he was my first soup in Houston. I learned pretty quick that if I started dropping F bombs, you know, and start talking about Nigerians, he fucking hated Nigerians. <laughs> and just say, hey sir, we're going fucking check out these Fucking Nigerians and ah, go get them. <laughs> go get these Nigerians. You know, because they're just full of fraud. I mean, let's just face it. And, and uh he ended up we ended up being uh knowing each other and being cool throughout the rest yeah. of my, my tour. We stayed, we stayed in contact. I remember I left her bill and uh yeah, I I wrote him an email, you know, and uh I just said, just want to thank you. I mean, I just said, I liked it. I mean, he, as a PM, I mean, I got my ass chewed. I mean, I hell, Hunter is a good friend of mine. And he fucking chewed my ass a few times. But that's the nature of the beast, man. Like, the thing about contracting is you, you can't be a pussy, man. You can't have fucking thin skin, you know. If you get your fucking feelings hurt because someone fucking yells at you or or someone calls you a fucking name, that's not your, then that's not your environment. That's not the, 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 you, then you shouldn't be there. You know, yeah. and, and, and you can pick those guys out fucking, you know, you can pick those guys out right away, man. And I think that's one of the reasons why I fucking survive. I'm like, man, I don't give a fuck. We can talk shit, but I, be prepared to get it back because I'm going to give it back. You know what I mean? Be, be prepared to take it because I'm going to give it back, you know. But he was just he was black and white, man. Black and white. Like it was black and white with him. It was. Man, and it was very rare that you got a fucking smile out of him, you know? I think the only time he fucking smiled was when he talked about our boy Shine. Because, boy, he loved that guy. I mean, Shine was just like, oh, how Shine do it? How Shine do it? He's good, sir. He's good. Oh, let him know. tell him I said hello. I will. I will. Tell, tell people who Shine was and what his – what his oh, job man. was. Let me tell you about Shine. That's that's one guy you want in your fucking fighting hole with you, man. Is Jarhead, you know, fucking hillbilly from South Carolina. And boy, you know he's from South Carolina because he talks like a fucking, like he's from South Carolina. And when that motherfucker tells you a story, he puts you there. Like, he puts you there. And, uh, 
he's just a great fucking guy, man. Former cop, a former Marine, former cop. I brought him out to her bill because he had experience in construction. He wasn't a general contractor, you know, but he had experience, some experience. So I didn't know the guy from fucking, you know, I didn't know him, but they recommended him. I said, fuck it. We'll give it a try. Bring him out. And boy, the, the guy, we just hit it off. I mean, he's, he's like the RSO you're talking about. Like, it's very hard for you to get a reaction from him, but because he's just always serious, you know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? Like, he'll call you out too. But man, fucking great guy. He just he came out as a as 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 my uh, what was he was he was the facilities manager is what That's his right. title was because we had in, on that contract I had sixteen villas that we leased. Uh, from locals so he was the one that basically oversaw all the maintenance uh dealt with the landlords everything and uh he is now i believe a detail leader in her bill running protective ops yeah i remember him being your uh, facilities manager i looked at him as like one of your logistics guys but i always remember you guys saying you know he's a shooter He's another fucking gun. If we need it, he can handle it. And, but the thing about Shine is different from the RSO is Shine is likable. The other yeah. guy is not not <laughs> for everyone. You know, Shine is a likable dude. And and I I started knowing the Shine better during the the meal plan days. Yeah. When uh, you and for those of y'all listening, Tony was like the fucking king dingling in in her bill when I got there. He had the palace uh, with some land. He had the biggest house on the compound. Yeah, yeah. He he worked his way up, and uh, uh, yeah. he had a chef living with him, and she was the only female triple canopy there. Yeah, let's 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 we have to be politically correct here. She no, was we don't. my. She was my administrative logistics security specialist manager, top admin position, but she was also uh, a chef. What do you know? She's the best. She was, and she, but she would enjoy being called a chef. I need to get her on this podcast. She yeah. was fucking awesome. She hung with the dudes and cooked it up. And basically, for everyone listening, I learned about this what a couple a couple uh, a couple months in. And you paid a certain amount and someone went out to do the shopping of the fresh fruits and vegetables and everything. And she would cook fresh fucking meals and you couldn't get fresh meals. And, uh, and it was select. You guys selected who was allowed to be on the meal plan. Like it's kind of like the low protein. You had, you to, had be to be, <laughs> you had to be brought in. Yep. And so just about every night of the week, unless I felt like having pizza, I was over at your house yeah. eating. We're all Every talking day. shit, cooking on the grill a little bit. Um, oh man, that was the shit. The meal plan. I think it was like fifty dollars a week. Fifty dollars a week, and there was only a handful of us, so the shopping would get done, and we were guaranteed. We were guaranteed dinner. Dinner was guaranteed. It covered dinner. But we also did like lunches. Shine would actually step in for lunch 
and he would he would make a bomb uh blt man uh or or just something i mean he, he today i think shine makes the best hummus hillbilly from south carolina making hummus that's a sight to see but okay. it was fucking great so yeah he would we eat for lunch he would he would get in there and make lunch you know but dinner was guaranteed by our chef and she she just she loved to cook man she wasn't i never ordered her to, to cook it was that was her thing man that was like that's what put her at ease and that's what helped her clear her mind after a stressful day cooking was her passion and fucking a she did it well yeah that was escape. about pancake saturday though yeah let's not forget yeah. about pancake saturday <laughs> I didn't come over as much for Pancake Saturday, but I did a couple times. And that was, (laughs) it's very possible or very likely that I was hungover. Confirm or deny. (laughs) But yeah. 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 So, so Pancake Saturday is open to the public, though. Uh, What was the name of the bar? Was it The Edge? The Edge. When when we had a bar, The Edge. The edge, oh, eventually, yeah. fell into the swimming pool. Yeah, and eventually they stopped at night times under yep, Steve. Very rowdy, and then Before you and I would, yeah, then you and I would smoke hookah on my patio. Yeah, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't drink. You wouldn't. I would say, Tony, have a drink. It's all good. Nope. But you were, you. I had to right. follow the rules, man. It was a small compound, man. I had to follow yeah. the rules. Well, Pancake yeah. Saturday was open to the public, but I would draw a lot of the RSO office every Saturday. The, the all RSO, six of us. Yeah, the, all the RSOs and the RSO would come by and uh, have pancakes, man. Yeah. Fuck, I miss those time. times, man. It was a good time to bullshit. It was a good time to, to basically, you know, chat about the upcoming week. Um, yeah, every morning, pancakes and Believe it or not, break, uh, bacon, bacon and eggs. And bacon was hard to get. Very hard to get. You had to either, one, have a smuggler from Baghdad, which I ended up getting on my own. Yeah. Or I paid, Tony, I think you know this, when, when uh, one of the two dudes' names that ran the little store, two Christian Kurds. Hans and it was Hans and uh, Noor. Newer was one. Newer sounds right. Well, they they didn't get bacon often, and the time that they did, it was like that strip bacon, right? Like uh, it wasn't cut; it was just like a bunch of pork belly fat. Yeah. And I went and I had the last two packages of that because it, it got raided, and I paid twenty five dollars for what what I cut it was about six slips strips of bacon. Yeah. And I didn't give a fuck. I would have paid $100 for that fucking thing. Right. Uh, so what we did was we worked the angle. It came from Baghdad, from either KBR down in Baghdad, or our buddy Sanginetti would actually get it shipped in. But it was pre-cooked bacon. But it didn't matter because it was fucking good bacon. Yeah. Pre-cooked bacon, so it was still pretty fucking good. Oh, we would have someone mule it in. Guys that would come in off a of leave, they'd bring some of that, you know, cooked bacon, and then mule, they would mule it in. Because in Kurdistan, 
they didn't trip. It was it was they they were cool. They were cool. But yeah, I had one of those guys that worked that one of tech guys. Uh, what was his fucking name? Well, he was, he worked on like the satellites and shit. And he'd come up every couple of weeks and I'd tell him, like, hey, man, if you stuff some bacon in your backpack, I'll pay you for it. And so he would fill a backpack full of bacon that come up. That. And I didn't share that with anyone. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't give a fuck. It was all my bacon. <laughs> I remember that. I remember you might have had a little bit here and there. but I did. You know, one of the I, gave me a pack. Yeah. I think you gave me a pack. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. That was good. We get steaks because down south they had KBR and KBR out and they had the PX, so they had all that stuff in the PX. We had none of that stuff. We lived off the economy. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good time. As much as we could after we got fucking shut down on everything. Yeah. ISIS made their push. Yeah. Uh, man, so we got attacked right at the end. Well, the end of my time, April was the 17th. Yeah. And, uh, that's in the book. And that was a good time because basically everything we had put in place, we had trained for kind of came to fruition. And oftentimes security, you plan and plan and plan and nothing happens. Yep. And this time it did. We knew though. Uh, we knew, we knew that threat was imminent. We knew something was going to happen. We just knew it. Yeah. We knew it. Yeah. We had bolos on uh well, Taxis riding around. There was it, it just you could kind of tell for for people listening. You can kind of feel the uptick in intelligence and just the odd things that were happening. And uh, I was in the gym. I was on top level of the gym stretching when it happened. And it, it, by all by all means, it was a it was considered a small bomb, although it was pretty fucking big. But mm-hmm. obviously, there are those that are bigger or a, a bomb. I mean, it was a V bid. It's a car mm-hmm. parked at the gate. Where were you? Where were you when it uh, when it went off? So I was actually just walking into my walking into the it, onto my property, man, the house, and um, it was me and Pac. We were walking in, walking down the driveway, and uh, Shine had just fired up the barbecue, and we were getting ready to grill out. And I remember I was getting ready to plant my ass on a chair. And boom, boom, like, and I remember what I said, and even Pac still reminds me, he's like, here, there we go, there it is. I ran inside, CRAM went off, ran inside, donned all my, my, my kit, grabbed my weapon, and we were rolling, man, we were rolling. Um, everyone took their positions. Uh, we, um, I moved over to the, to, to the RSO office, to our rally point. And if you remember, it was very chaotic because, yeah, it was a V-bid, but there was also sporadic fire coming from somewhere. And we thought, okay, they, they detonated a V-bid, but we're also taking fire. I mean, and there was sporadic fire for a good fucking 10 minutes. Good I think it went out longer than that. I yeah, think it was not longer than that. But, I mean, it was sustained fucking fire. Yeah. What the fuck? But we weren't seeing any impacts. And I remember the the uh, that OP position over by the main checkpoint, um, but where the consulate affairs was. One of that that villa, Villa One. I remember that OP position. the The walls were very low, so we couldn't send someone up because that's where the we thought the fire was coming from, the uh, machine gun fire. 
but we weren't seeing any impacts. It was just a big cloud of smoke with sustained fire, but it wasn't it wasn't impacting the consulate. So it was it was it was chaotic at first because we couldn't determine where that fire was coming from. The small machine gun fire. I think because the comms were I mean we were all over the comms. I, I came from the gym, I ran into the RSO office. You you had probably already beat feet from there to, to go there. to supervise your activities. And and I went up uh, I was with Kramer. I was fucking pumped. Like, yeah, motherfucker. <laughs> and so Kramer was responsible for being the AIC with the uh guard a, was he guard yeah. for? Nah, what's what's what do we call him? Yeah. QRF, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so uh well the 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 initial QRF went out to that gate that you're talking about, whatever that main gate yep. on the side of the compound where the where the uh blast went off. And so I told Adam, Adam was new, you know, uh I said fucking go with him down to, I think it was gate three, I forget what CAC three maybe. Is that yep. what we called it? Yeah. Past past your office. Yeah. And I ran to where the generators were to get a look because it was all the black smoke was coming up by that abandoned hotel building mm-hmm. where Asaish were. Mm-hmm. And my thoughts were, if they get the fucking high ground, we're done. And I had reacted. You had that five story building that yeah. that was basically joining, you know, the consulate wall, basically. Yep, right on it. On it. And so I went down there and looked through my, I don't know, it's my ACOG and tried to see and, and thought, uh, all right, well, first off, I'm near these fucking generators. That's not a good spot to be. But I didn't see anything. So then I went, Adam went down to the spot and uh, basically started, we pulled up a Suburban by the main, the ped CAC, the pedestrian CAC, to get uh, guys behind the the engine and take up a, make a, make a position, basically, because I thought that's where the blast was. And you had some of your TC guys who were like right where the fucking smoke was looking over the roof, just trying to fucking get something. That wasn't, you know this, that was not a position they should be in. No. And so I was like, what the fuck are they doing? Yeah, I remember yelling. Yeah. yeah. One of your shift leaders, oh, they were, they were just ready to have some fun. One of your shift leaders, like, I'll, I'll get them down, sir. You know, and, yeah. and, and randomly you know, walked over and got them down and everybody posted up, but it, 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 it must've took 30 minutes or so before you and I connected. I was trying to get you on the radio. Um, and just to see if we're up and instead I ended up walking to the positions and, you know, we probably just missed each other. We just crossed, crossed. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of walking, uh, stepping on each other on the radios. That, that was, I think that was one of our main AR points. It's like anything else, communication is... Everybody's seeing something, and they're calling it on the radio, and, you know, we couldn't, you know, we the talk, trying to push out info, and, yeah, basically we had to go in there and clear the net, stay off the net, and only pertinent, only, uh, um, uh, 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 our, the higher RSO office, uh, you know, can jump on that radio, but, yeah, it was it was bad, it was bad, but... It was chaotic, man. Like I said, uh, we thought we thought they're gonna they're coming through the walls. That's what we thought. Yeah, and I think if they did that they would have fucking they would have done some serious damage because we still had we still had a lot of uh, uh, FSOs on the compound. Yeah, you know. So had they come over the wall, even one, and now we have one active shooter. You know, so now we have an active shooter scenario. 
Um, so that's what we were trying to do is we we're trying to make sure that we didn't have, there's no gaps. There was no holes on the wall, you know, that way we can, you know, so they couldn't say so they wouldn't come on the compound. And we trained for that, you know, even though that wasn't triple canopy's mission, that mission fell on MSG, you know, we could talk about MSG later, but it was like, fuck, they're not coming through. We're not going to live through that wall. Yeah, I mean, MSG's a, at most embassies are, but they're the only game in town. When you get to a place like this where there's, I mean, MSG has their role uh, and can handle themselves in certain situations, but those, we, we, you created scenarios with the QRF mm-hmm. and I did training with them on what we're going to do. And we all learn from each other. If there's an active shooter on the compound and quite honestly, that was created from an active shooter, like one of our own, wigging out and become an active shooter, but obviously it relates in the other sense. But I think we did well that night. The only the only issue is that we had was the comms. Our comms plan kind of went to shit. We tried to roll over to different nets. Um once we were in position, once we were all in position everyone got into position. So there was no question there. We plugged the hole where we needed to. Um it was more and, and I'm talking about rooftop positions, fighting positions. What well the unknown was is there a breach in the perimeter? We didn't know that. It went off, the V bit went off uh right in front of that big high rise building that 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 basically connects to the consulate wall. So we thought, man, there's a hole. So that we went in there and cleared that whole house. Remember that uh it was actually in a it was actually uh the OMS house, the OMS lived there and a couple, I think SPSers lived there. So we had to go in there and clear that building because it shattered all the damn glass, all the windows. Yeah. You know, so we, we didn't know that took some time too to actually go in there and clear that house because we didn't know if they were still in there and if they were, you know, down or not. So we had to clear that house. Yeah. I I think you guys, we cleared up several houses. Uh, that was one of the first yeah, ones. Yeah, I think we ended up clearing. I think we ended up going house to house. Event after the after the because uh, we moved a lot of people over to the hard point, which was the MSG, you know, building. Uh, yeah. Building. Uh, but yeah, and then we ended up we had to get accountability and stuff, so we had to end up we ended up clearing uh, every house except for our our medical officers. She didn't remember. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I was going to get to next. <laughs> you, you and I actually linked up when I was going. Steve, the RSO, said, "Cody, have you seen uh, the doc?" Right. I said, "No, I, I haven't seen her." He said, "We need to find her. We need to go get her." So Roger that. So I started walking there, and you and I had met. And it was right around the RSO office where you and I had met for the first time on the on the on the comp, on the uh, compound. And we went together. Remember that? I said, like, come with me, get Ruth Ann. We took we took and, a trip over there, yeah. Well, not initially. You may remember we went knock on the door and she's like, Who is it? Like, it's Tony and Cody. How do I know? Yeah. Like, motherfucker. Like, do we have this a fucking code word? <laughs> so we start laughing and shit. And then uh finally she opens it and she's like, Well, where's the vehicle? I said that. What vehicle? What are you talking about? And so she's like, I'm not walking. And for everybody listening, this was less than half a block. 
right? Because there's like a fourth of a block and then across the street. Yeah, yeah. If you walk, if you walk, it's a lot shorter because you can just cut through. And um, (laughs) and so I remember her closing the door, grabbing her shit, and having to come up to you and say, "Hey, Tony." You know, we need to get a suburban out here, and and you were like, "What a suburban!" In in typical Tony fashion, and I was like, "Yeah, man, she won't fucking move without a suburban." We need a doctor. Yeah, Roger that. So we fucking pulled the suburban and gave her a lift. You know, one hundred seventy five feet. I don't know. It wasn't very far. Um, she was a show. She but you was, remember that a uh, critique point? Hey, doc. What's that? You you remember that AAR critique point with her? Hey Doc, where's your fucking where's your position? After you know we give the old clear when we come get you, where's your position? It's not fucking hiding in your fucking room under your bed. It's yeah. at the damn medical office, you know, ready to handle patients. Obviously, once she opened the door, she saw us and she saw a suburban. Then she she grew balls because then she started acting all cocky, like okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, you may remember she was cocky before all this happened. She would talk yeah. about, oh, I did work in the army and special forces. I flew in helicopters and, oh, the, the, you know, and she, that, was, that was her thing. She that fucking, was, yeah. And then the shit went down and she was literally hiding under a stairwell. Who is it? With the, I think it was the washer was like against the door or some shit like that. Like, what the <laughs> yeah. fuck? Am I speaking in fucking Arabic? I'm speaking in plain English. It's Tony yeah. and Cody. Open yeah. the fucking door. Yeah. yeah. It's it, not like we have accents that sound like anyone else. I mean, I my fucking country accent. You have yours. Uh, she was she was interesting. And then we uh well we got her there, or the team did. We just I think you and I just put her in there and said go. Yeah. And then we walked and I went change because I was in shorts, and then the eventually the SF guy, the uh, not the SF, the task force guys. Yeah, I showed up. Remember that they showed up. Yeah, that was walked them around and stuff. They took pictures, and we already yeah. had helicopters up in the air. Remember, task force guys showed up. Yeah, they had ISR up. Yeah, um, ISR. and their enlisted guys are great. It was that officer you may remember. Um, it's like who's in charge here? And it's like, it's like well, that. That depends who you're talking to. Yeah. And he wanted to cut the lights of the compound. Oh yeah, Remember that yeah, they're watching. We're both like, cut the yeah. light. Yeah, it's they can road. fucking they they see the lights. They're gonna fucking hit you with IDF. Like it, it was one bomb blast, and it had been what two hours almost, hour and a half. The entire neighborhood has lit the fuck up. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and uh, I said, well, you guys run that by the RSO, and he ended up going to the talk, and Hunter Hunter dealt with him. Uh, but the rest of the guys are great. And then we all went out. Did you come out with us when we did the escort for the FBI? We did the protection detail for FBI at the bomb site mm-hmm. last site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I picked up a couple of the SPSers and we walked off the FBI guy, Mike. Mike, Mike was a good dude. Yeah. Good Mike dude. to walk around and Mike was in flip flops tonight. It happened, which we kind of all were flip flops here and there, but, um, it was late in the afternoon. It was like towards the end of the day. Like 530. Yeah. yeah. It was the end of the day. Yeah, he was chilling. And then all of a sudden that shit happened and said, you know, you go out. And was it a Saturday? It was a Saturday, wasn't it? It was a Saturday. It was April 17th, so uh, 2015. So I have to look. But 
Um, it was a light day. I mean, we were done. I was stretching in the gym and yeah, um, it Friday. Yeah, yeah. But we came out of it. I think the total oh, the death toll was uh, three dead. None of us. No, 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 no uh, consular staff. Yeah. Three dead, 17 wounded, which they didn't account for. Those They had some TDYers in one of those buildings on that side. Yeah. And they had taken uh, – I don't think they took much shrapnel, but the, the, the windows are blown out and their ears yeah, like they were – From the you know, QRF uh, building, yeah. Yep, yep, exactly, yeah. And they had taken a little bit. Um, it destroyed the entire block, though. It destroyed all the businesses. It was big enough to – to do a fucking ton yeah. of damage. Yeah. Yeah. They basically, they, they, yeah, they, they destroyed the entire block. It blew, it shattered all the glass windows and those restaurants stayed closed. I think the only one that opened back up was the cafe in the corner, but not fully operational. Yeah. My Waffle House definitely was down hard. They, they never opened the Waffle House. <laughs> That's what we call it. Yeah. For like five bucks, you can eat like, you can eat, Fuck for days. It had the it had the colors of the Waffle House. Yeah, yeah, yep. it was great, man. There was one American that was sitting either there or at one of the cafes. This little teacher, you may remember, she was injured, got some burns, her hair and face. Yeah, um, and yep. it ended up being, and I don't talk about this in the book, but it ended up being it was ISIS. Uh, um, they had parked a, a car there. I think it was a taxi, right? And they mm-hmm. were well away, and they did a remote detonation and um, blew it up. And we caught them. And Adam and I got to talk to them, got to interview them. Um, well, Adam was the lead. I was on my way out. I had like a couple weeks left. And he was he was investigations anyway, so he was mm-hmm. got to talk to him. And they sat there with their palms up. They were told to sit there with their palms up and you could just see their fucking palms were beat to shit. And those, you know, they got captured. They just beat their palms and beat their feet. That was one of their tactics to get them to talk. And they gave up as far as we know, everything. That's you cool. Know. That's cool. That you guys got to, you know, got to interview those guys. Got to go face to face with them, man. Adam got to do several. I got to do one. I know. One it, was for, it was a good year for Adam. Yeah. yeah. Where's yeah. he at nowadays? He's in the Philippines. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's doing well. Really good guy. Um, He's in the Philippines. He had investigations right before I left. Uh, you may remember this, too. Actually, I think you were you were gone the couple weeks when I left. Uh, but there was that suicide on the ORA compound. Yeah, that was their Philippines. Fel- fellow Marine and yeah, uh, Adam Adam was a lead. I went with him just because I had a little seniority and I had dealt with death on compounds before. And um, it was uh, it was a it was an RA guy, static guy that had killed himself. And Adam handled it like a champ. You know, he was a little sick at first and then snapped to and did his thing. He was a good dude, man. He, he stayed pretty busy. He stayed busy. Yeah. You know, and he's not a guy that came from law enforcement. He didn't come from the military. Uh, but he listened. He, he uh, Exactly. Yeah. One of those guys that, you know, basically he knew where he stood and he was just there to learn. 
you know, and he listened and it was, he was great, man. He was great to work with. And that's the message. That's the message for guys to go in for young agents to go in to, to work with, uh, you know, uh, guys that have been around like yourself and others, like just listen, don't have a chip on your shoulder. Adam never had a chip on his shoulder. He listened to ARSOs. He listened to, to, to triple canopy whips guys. He just absorbed it and was extremely likable and interpersonal skills, talk shit with the best of them. And, um, yeah, and he, he, he also was accepted into the meal plan. Yes, he was. I was just going to say that he was part of the meal plan. Which is part of the recognition of being, you know, the, <laughs> one I of mean, the dudes. And another thing for the guys that are trying to go into this line of business too, like DS, it, man, you know, some guys come in season with military backgrounds and they're done that. Some come straight out of college, you know, for those that are, that are seasoned veterans, you know, man, your background is well-respected. No one's going to take that away from you. But that's that chapter closed, and you're starting a new chapter, man. You know, and that's one of the things that I always, you know, when, when I had new guys come in, I always do an interview with them. You know, tell me a little bit about yourself. Cool. That was the first thing I said, hey, man, you were special forces? Great, man. I respect that. But you're not there anymore, man. This is a different mission, man. You have to be able to – you have to be able to switch that off and turn this on. You know what I mean? Because it's a different mission, and and believe it or not, a lot of a lot of guys couldn't do that. They couldn't do that. You know, um, it, it was it was same for me when I left, man, Iraq. You know, serving all that time in Iraq, and I didn't take any breaks, man. Like I would come home, I would spend probably two months out of the out of the year at home. The rest of my time was deployed. When I, when I ended it in 2017, it was a big change for me, man. I semi retired for a few months and I'm like, man, I got to get back to work. But I, I knew I didn't want to go back to Iraq or Afghanistan. So I started doing EP, man. I just started doing EP in the States and it took a little bit used to, I'm like, I got my first team and I'm like running like it's high threat operations. Like, whoa, no, 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 no. Slow it down. So um, definitely, man, when you close that, you close that uh, when, you know, that door and another one opens, you definitely have to take a step back, take that admin pause and, and just, you know, listen and learn. And that's how you move up and that's how you get better. You know, by listening to others, especially if you're new to that environment, you have to listen. You know, don't be cocky because nobody likes, you know, be cocky when it's time to be cocky. Right. You know? But yeah, man, good times. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I was That was going to be my question. What advice do you have for a, a young DSH coming on? And mine would be to listen. And uh, we... As DS agents, we come out, we get the badge, confident, uh, but we don't we don't know shit when it comes down to it. We know about maybe if it was related to our former world, whether it be a little bit of military or a little bit of law enforcement, but protective ops is a different thing. It's high threat protection. It's not executive protection. You can't learn this at fucking Gavin DeBecker. Yeah. You can't learn this at Secret Service. 
you learn it through whips, through DS. Um, Time on the ground. What's that? On the ground. Time on the ground, yeah. On the job training. Yeah. Yeah. And, and things are changing, and they're 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 changing drastically. You know, I don't think WPS is going to go away anytime soon. Um, I think I think those high threat posts will be there for for quite some time, and they're always going to need you know more agents, and they're always going to need you know the contractors to augment you know the DS agents. Um, so more venues will open up, you know, in the future. Um, great opportunities for some that want to go and check that box. Um, but you have to, you have to really be sure that's what you want to do. Yeah. Cause we've lost a lot of friends. I've lost a lot of friends that, you know, they go there and they, they get fucked up in the head, you know, and it's not right. It's not for them. It's not for everybody. If you have a family, it's hard. It's going to be hard in the family, you know? Some will understand, some some spouses will understand, some will not. And it causes a lot of drama and it puts a lot of stress on you. Um, so if you don't have the support, I recommend that you, you just stay stateside with your family and try to make it work. There's plenty of EP work in the States nowadays. Given the current situation, man, there's plenty of work. But going overseas, it's a great experience. I would highly recommend it to anyone who is interested in, in doing WP at WIPS or becoming a DS agent, especially I didn't know what a DS agent was. I didn't even know you guys existed. Yeah, me either. You know, it's like, what? You're at 11 oh, Okay. And what? They fly you all over the world. They, they You're stationed all over the world and you get paid well and you can bring your family. What? As if you remember, I almost went that route. I tested. I passed. I had my interview set <laughs> scheduled. You know, uh, I had my interview, uh, formal interview scheduled. I think it was out of the San Diego office when you were there. And like a dumbass, <laughs> I was deployed and I couldn't leave. And that was my opportunity. <laughs> I forgot about that, but bring it up now. I vaguely remember it. Yeah. I think yeah. you, but uh, you know that would have been a drastic, drastic pay cut. Yeah. It would have been a career move for me, though. That's what it's all about. It's pick that field. WPS is not a career for if you want to be a if you want to go become if you want to become a contractor and go work for WPS. It's not a career, you know. I'd say now that I'm older. You know, for those young guys that are just starting off, pick a field that that you're actually go, that you can retire and benefit from in the long run, and stick with it. Oh yeah, I mean, you guys loved it. You had some fun. You made some money. So I guess for those that are interested in doing it in a couple of years, well, my understanding is this shit's fucking addictive. You you just get addicted to it. It is. No, it is. I have no regrets, none whatsoever. I, you know, if I can do it all over again, I would do it all over again. I don't know if I would stay out there 14 years, 15 years, but I would definitely do it again. Like I said, the brotherhood, man, it's just like the military, just a different brotherhood. Yeah. Especially Blackwater guys. Since that was such a, yeah. 
a short stint in which Blackwater existed and the type of shit you guys got into. There wasn't that um, many of us. Yeah. And a lot of and a lot of guys will claim the paw, you know what I mean? The bear paw. And when you you know, when you question them, like, what year were you in? Or what year were you with? Uh BW? Oh no, man, they were long gone by then. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they, they try to claim working with BW guys. Yeah, it's not, switched, not yeah. the same, man. It's not the same. But yeah, it's good times. Well, shit, man. All right. We're going to, uh, I guess we'll close. All right, buddy. This was fucking, well, first off, it was good catching up. And I think there's a lot of good, valuable information. There's two types of, well, there's several folks that are, whether they're listeners or they follow me on, on Instagram, and it's, Aspiring DS agents, current DS agents, and then significant amount that are interested in doing security contracting. I mentioned this at the beginning, and I think you provided fuck a ton of good intel for that. And um, you know, if people have questions, hit me up. And if Tony's willing, I could maybe connect you or at least connect you with someone that can talk to you about it. Triple canopy. So. Before we close, yeah. So for for your listeners, I, I after I ended my career in, in 2017, um, I came home and I I was a I was a recruiter for WPS for Triple Canopy. So for those of for those of your uh, listeners that are interested in going overseas to be a security contractor, any questions? Yeah, I, I love helping people, man. I I enjoy. I enjoy uh, helping people, you know, find good paying careers. That's what it's all about. Especially, you know, former military guys. Uh, you know, you definitely you, you served your country. Um, you, you deserve it, man. You deserve it. So I, I really enjoy that. So I'm still pretty well connected with 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 the folks, uh, both on the TC side and the DS side. So yeah, any questions they may have, just send them my way. Yeah. Roger that. Awesome, man. Well, Tony, you're my man. Appreciate you coming on. I'm gonna go ahead and hit, I'm gonna stop recording here, but but don't hang up, brother. All right, buddy. Appreciate it. Good talk. All right, Tony Beltran. Solid as they come. Great friend of mine. And uh we've already talked about having him on again. We could we could talk for hours, he and I, just about the different whether it be missions or, or nuances to working high threat protection or to living uh, in these environments, you know, and, and he and I had different experiences as a, as a direct hire and him as a contractor, you know, we, we share different experiences and it's just a ton of Intel for, for those of you that are interested in, as mentioned in the security contract world or uh, you know, aspiring DS agents or young DS agents. So thanks for listening. couple things to note. My book, Agents Unknown, True Stories of Life as a Special Agent in the Diplomatic Security Service, still out. It is on Kindle, Audible, or paperback. You can find it along with my blog, some YouTube videos, some social media, all on my website, CodyPeron.com. C-O-D-Y-P-E-R-R-O-N.com. book is doing well, and the podcast, only after three episodes... Is starting to grow. But if you are interested in learning more about DS, uh, whether you are intending to become an agent 
or a security contractor, or you just want to know how DS, diplomatic security, and the State Department protect their diplomats overseas, uh, the book has a ton of intel in it that discusses how we do it. So, with that said, episode three down. Thanks, y'all. Thank you.